And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. Before I share today's podcast with you, I, I, I want to just take a moment and talk about a recent interview that I had uh, with an Andrew Giancola. Uh, I thought he did a terrific job. He's, uh, I don't know how old he is, but he's a young fellow who I think has a great future uh, in, the, in the field of podcasting. But he interviewed me for about 40 minutes. The title of that interview is Simple Financial Steps with Massive Payoffs. And uh, we've got a link to that uh, in the note field for this podcast. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, I, I, I hope you'll listen. And if you have particularly kind of first-time young investors, uh, I think it's, uh, it, it will be helpful. But today's podcast, uh, I must say that I, uh, I spent a lot of time looking at four different things I wanted to talk about, and I have settled on one uh, that I hope uh, will, will be meaningful to you. Um, I, I read an article by Ben Carlson. In fact, we'll have a link to that article. Um, ben Carlson is one of our truth tellers, and what I love about his work is he 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 he, he almost always is looking at numbers. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, he was talking about the tremendous differences in returns from the market. The market being the S and P five hundred. And what he did was, that was a little different, Um, he was looking at the 20-year period starting at the beginning, for example, of 1930, and then 20-year returns for beginning on uh, 1940 and 1950 uh, through 2000. And he wanted to, to, to show... Uh, this whole problem of sequence of returns, uh, and we've talked many times about how much luck plays into the, the success or failure of an investment, uh, but uh, in this particular case, what he focused on was the S&P 500 and the growth of a dollar. So, for example, if you put a dollar to work in 1930, by the end of 1949, it would have only grown to about $2.39. And uh, on the other hand, if you look the next period, starting in 1940 through 59, it, it, it grew to $14.10. And the home run was from 1980 to 1999, where a dollar grew to $26.83. Now, you know, those are hugely different numbers. And uh, the obvious uh, lesson, I think, is, is that when we're looking out 20 years from retirement and we have this sense of how we're going to do, uh, that uh, it could be very different than, we, than our expectations. But then after having looked through all of his data, I thought it would be interesting 
to take a look at how would you have done if you built a four-fund strategy made up 25% S&P 500, 25% large-cap value, 25% small-cap blend, and 25% small-cap value. Now, the, 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 the numbers that we have uh, do not make any, uh, uh, any adjustment for taxes uh, nor, nor for uh, management fees. But what we did see that was interesting is how very different each period of time could be. Now, I'm not going to give you all the numbers. I want to give you some highlights, and I want to give you the bottom line that I think you'll find of interest. Uh, and that is, if we just looked at 1930, all right, the S&P 500 grew to $2.39. Now, remember, small cap blend, small cap value, large cap value, all more risky than the S&P 500. And so we would have an expectation that they would do better. And, and a couple, couple did and, and one didn't. Large cap value uh, only grew to $1.81. Small cap blend to $5.02. And small cap value to $4.58. So the average of the four asset classes over that particular 20-year period was 3.45. Now, I've talked a lot about the four-fund strategy and my belief that it actually is less volatile year-to-year than the S&P 500 is. So at least in this particular 20-year period, there was an advantage, Uh, 239 versus 345. uh, That's almost, what, 50% more. Um, And and then if we look, for example, at the 1940 through through 59, the S&P 500 was $14.10, but the combination of the four was $23.36. Again, a, a big difference. The one time that the S&P 500 did have a better return was from 1980 through 1999, and a dollar grew to $26.83. Wouldn't that be nice if you're 20 years away from retirement? The four-fund strategy was $26.58. So it still had a huge return but it did turn out that the, the, the better winner over that particular 20-year period was large cap value, uh, up to $29.81. And by the way, it was uh, uh, almost the same return with small cap value. So th- my point is this, that many people depend very specifically on the S&P 500. Uh, They have a sense of comfort that it represents 500 very large companies. Not all of them are household names, but certainly a lot of them are. 
It includes the giants that have been the, the big winners in the tech arena. And uh, that then compared to the combination of, by the way, 2,000 to 3,500 different stocks. You put together the four fund strategy. You're not all going to put them together with exactly the same uh, ETFs or mutual funds. But you are probably going to have a total of 2,000 to 3,500 companies in your portfolio. And again, I'm going to say that based on the year-to-year volatility of the quilt chart that we have going back to 1928, the four-fund strategy is way less volatile, way less volatile than the S&P 500. In fact, I'll make sure that I include a link uh, to that quilt chart. And while the average return of these 20-year periods um, doesn't mean anything in particular because the bottom line is these numbers are going to be all over the place in the coming in the coming 20-year periods. But we do know this, that if you look at the average additional rate of return for all of these different periods, and yes, they're going to have overlap because you go from 30 to 49 and 40 to 49. So you have some, you have some overlapping in, in, in this number. But, but the bottom line is that the average is about 42% more money in the four-fund strategy at the end of that, uh, all those 20-year periods. 42% more money. And, and the reason that this is such a big deal to me is this is one of those decisions that we make that I think can be a life changer. I know that Chris and Dale and I in the coming weeks are going to be discussing as a part of our get-together uh, do-it-yourself target date portfolio. And by that, we simply mean instead of buying the Vanguard uh, target date fund uh, so that the glide path will be managed for you, is to let you pick your own glide path, but to decide, hopefully, to at least consider the idea of the four fund strategy instead of the S&P 500 uh, as the equity portion of your target date fund. And uh, that would make a big difference. See, there are, there are a handful of decisions that you are going to make that are, are truly life-changing. And the interesting thing is they are things that you have control over. You do not have control over the outcome. You have control over how you invest for the long term. And, and, and so we know, for example, when you start, how early you start, makes a huge difference over a lifetime. 
whether you continued to invest the same amount year after year, or you make an adjustment to save more as you earn more. You know, that's, that's another major implication. And, of course, along with that comes the, uh, the uh, uh, match in a 401k, another opportunity that's under your control. The expenses that you pay inside of the mutual funds, that is huge over a lifetime. The taxes you do or you don't pay. Uh, how much of your portfolio is going to be in the S&P 500? All of it? 25% of it? 10% of it? I mean, there are all sorts of different decisions you're going to have to make, but they're in your control. How many different asset classes, and I'm speaking mostly here of equity asset classes, how many of those do you want to have in your portfolio? You would even make the decision on how many countries you're going to have involved. Now, of all the things that I'm going to mention, that one is probably going to have the, the least impact because an all-U.S. portfolio balance between big and small and value and growth will have a similar return as adding the internationals to the portfolio. Whether you dollar cost average or you figure out a better way to put money to work, that can have uh, an impact. This decision to be use a target date fund or be a do-it-yourself builder of that fund, again, huge impact. How much you have in stocks and bonds whether you decide to start putting bonds in the portfolio when you're 50 or 40 or 30, or if you buy a target date fund, you're going to start probably at age 20 with some bonds in your portfolio, not because you want them. And by the way, I should give you that number. I should give you that number because on average, on average, uh, over that uh, period of time, uh, the, the money grew to about uh, $12 to $14 uh, over all those 20-year periods on average, okay? If you had been in bonds instead, that would have grown to about $3.60, okay? $3.60 versus uh, uh, 12 to 14 Huge difference. So when you add bonds, does have an impact. And then in some ways, the biggest of them all. And that is whether you make your decisions based on your emotions or some sort of a systematic, mechanical way. Again, this is what that target date fund is supposed to be. Equities in the early years, adding fixed income in the latter years, and uh, and doing it based on some sort of a formula, uh, as as compared to people kind of just doing it whenever they feel like it. And I've saved something that I think is fascinating 
Probably not statistically relevant. Might be. I'll let you you decide. Uh, the book that I get, the database we use, comes from Dimensional Fund Advisors. Uh, and this is kind of the home of Dr. Fama and Dr. French and, and other academics. They are the, uh, that's where the people from Avantis came from. To, uh, these are people that are all uh, focused on the what we would consider to be the academic aspect of the investment process. In their database, they do have the NASDAQ, N-A-S-D-A-Q. Uh, and uh, uh, so I can see the numbers from starting in 1980. They don't go back to 1970, but they go back to 19, actually 72, and I've ignored the 72 through whatever period. In fact, I probably should have just showed it from when they started. But for right now, here's what I got. For the period of 80 to 99, a dollar in the NASDAQ index would have grown to $26.93. Now, that, by the way, is almost the same as the four-fund strategy. And that was a great period for the NASDAQ. For the 90s, this is kind of hard to believe because it's the 90s through 2009. But during the 90s, the returns were huge, followed by a very difficult period from 2000 through 2009, the total growth of a dollar was to $5.02. Now, to give that perspective, if we looked at the four-fund strategy, it was $8.23. If we looked at small-cap value, it was $14.49. And then the period from 2000 through 2020, again, you've got that bad period from 2000 to 2009, followed by a good period from 2010 through 2019. But that dollar grew to $4, which, by the way, uh, is about a third less. The four-fund strategy grew to $6.18. And I'm sure most young people would think the NASDAQ were all that technology sitting around growing and exploding and blossoming and whatever, whatever those words are that mean that it's going through the roof. But it turns out that when we look at the numbers, you are probably better off in a four-fund strategy or small-cap value itself. I mean, if you want to put pedal to the metal... I would be thinking about the small cap value, uh, certainly over the NASDAQ. But to be fair, we're going all the way back to 1930 with the small cap value and only back to 1980 uh, with the NASDAQ. So uh, I, I hope that gives you some perspective. I hope it makes you reconsider the decision should I own the S&P 500 or should I own 
a combination of those four funds. Now, I did not do my homework on the two-fund strategy. I'll do that uh, on another, uh, another podcast. And by the way, thank you all uh, for giving Tuesday. Uh, many of you were kind enough to make a donation uh, to our foundation. Uh, I think uh, every, every day we are doing work with the intent of having that knowledge uh, compound, hopefully financially, for the rest of, of our, I'll call them our students' lives. Um, probably not fair to call them students. Some, some people may know more than I do. So anyway, I, I hope it, our work continues to help. I am so excited because next week I get to sit down late in the week, so it won't be able to, to send it to you for a couple of weeks. But uh, the next sit down with Daryl and with Chris, we've got some really, I think, exciting uh, topics to cover. And one last item, don't forget about those PDFs for We're Talking Millions and, and, and Two Funds for Life, uh, Chris Pedersen's book, and and um, Spending Your Way to Wealth by uh, Paul Hayes, and of course, our other free books. Yes, they were written uh, about it over a decade ago, but I think they have some good information. Uh, those would include... Uh, um, the Get uh, Smart or Get Screwed, uh, uh, also uh, 101 Investment Decisions Guaranteed to Change Your Financial Future, uh, and finally, First Time Investor, Grow and Protect Your Money. Thanks again, and thanks for your help to, uh, to help us reach more, uh, more folks with our work. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.